The Crystal Shard, Chapter 12, The Gift Wolfgar sat high on the northern face of Brunner's climb, his eyes trained on the expanse of the rocky valley below, intently seeking any movement that might indicate the dwarf's return. The barbarian came to this spot often to be alone with his thoughts and the mourn of the wind. Directly before him, across the dwarfen vale, were Kelvin's Carn and the northern section of Lac Dinesher. Between them lay the flat stretch of ground known as Icewind Pass that led to the northeast and the open plains. And, for the barbarian, the pass that led to his homeland. Brunner had explained that he would be gone for a few days, and at first Wolfgar was happy for the relief from the dwarf's constant grumbling and criticism. But he found his relief short-lived. Worried for him, are you? came a voice behind him. He didn't have to turn around to know that it was Caterbury. He left the question unanswered, figured that she had asked it rhetorically anyway, and would not have believed if he denied it. He'll be back, Caterbury said with a shrug in her voice. Brunner's as hard as mountain stone, and there's nothing on the tundra that can stop him. Now the young barbarian did turn to consider the girl. Long ago, when a comfortable level of trust had been reached between Brunner and Wolfgar, the dwarf had introduced the young barbarian to his daughter, a human girl the barbarian's own age. She was an outwardly calm girl, but packed with an inner fire and spirit that Wolfgar had been unaccustomed to in a woman. Barbarian girls were raised to keep their thoughts and opinions, unimportant by the standards of men, to themselves. Like her mentor, Caterbury said exactly what was on her mind and left little doubt as to how she felt about a situation. The verbal sparring between her and Wolfgar was nearly constant and often heated, but still, Wolfgar was glad to have a companion his own age, someone who didn't look down at him from a pedestal of experience. Caterbury had helped him through the difficult first year of his indenture, treating him with respect, although she rarely agreed with him, when he had none for himself. Wolfgar even had the feeling that she had something indirectly to do with Brunner's decision to take Wolfgar under his tutorship. She was his own age, but in many ways, Caterbury seemed much older, with a solid inner sense of reality that kept her temperament on an even level. In other ways, however, such as the skipping spring in her step, Caterbury would forever be a child. This unusual balance of spirit and calm, of serenity and unbridled joy, intrigued Wolfgar and kept him off balance whenever he spoke with the girl. Of course, there were other emotions that put Wolfgar at a disadvantage with he was with Caterbury. Undeniably, she was beautiful, with thick waves of rich auburn hair rolling down over her shoulders and the darkest blue penetrating eyes that would make any suitor blush under their knowing scrutiny. Still, there was something beyond any physical attraction that interested Wolfgar. Caterbury was beyond his experience, a young woman who did not fit the role as it had been defined to him on the tundra. He wasn't sure if he liked this independence or not, but he found himself unable to deny the attraction that he felt for her. You come up here often, do you not? Caterbury asked. What is it you look for? Wolfgar shrugged, not fully knowing the answer himself. Your home? That and other things that a woman would not understand. Caterbury smiled away the unintentional insult. Tell me then, she pressed, hints of sarcasm edging her tone. 
Maybe my ignorance will bring a new perspective to these problems. She hopped down from the rock to circle the barbarian and take a seat on the ledge beside him. Wolfgar marveled at her graceful movements. Like the polarity of her curious emotional blend, Caterbury also proved an enigma physically. She was tall and slender, delicate by all appearances, but growing into womanhood into the caverns of the dwarves, she was accustomed to hard and heavy work. Of adventures and unfulfilled vow, Wolfgar said mysteriously, perhaps to impress the young girl, but more so to reinforce his own opinion about what a woman should and should not care about. A vow you mean to fulfill? Caterbury reasoned. As soon as you're given the chance. Wolfgar nodded solemnly. It is my heritage, a burden passed on to me when my father was killed. The day will come... He let his voice trail away, and he looked back longingly to the emptiness of the open tundra beyond Kelvin's carn. Caterby shook her head, the auburn locks bouncing across her shoulders. She saw beyond Wolfgar's mysterious facade, enough to understand that he meant to undertake a very dangerous, probably suicidal, mission in the name of honor. What drives you? I cannot tell. Luck to you on your adventure, but if you're taking it for no better reason than what you've named, you're wasting your life. What could a woman know of honor? Wolfgar shot back angrily. But Caterbury was not intimidated and did not back down. What indeed? She echoed. Do you think that you hold it all in your oversized hands for no better reason than what you hold in your pants? Wolfgar blushed a deep red and turned away, unable to come to terms with such nerve in a woman. Besides, Caterbury continued, you can say what you want about why you've come up here this day. I know that you're worried about Bruner, and I'll hear no denying it. You know only what you desire to know. You are a lot like him, Caterbury said abruptly, shifting the subject and disregarding Wolfgar's comments. More akin to the dwarf than you'll ever admit, she laughed. Both stubborn, both proud, and neither about to admit an honest feeling for the other. Have it your own way, then, Wolfgar of Icewind Dale. To me you can lie, but to yourself, that's a different tale. She hopped away from her perch and skipped down the rocks toward the dwarven caverns. Wolfgar watched her go, admiring the sway of her slender hips and the graceful dance of her step, despite the anger that he felt. He didn't stop to think of why he'd been so mad at Caterbury. He knew that if he did, he would find, as usual, that he was angry because her observations hit the mark. Drizduarden kept a stoic vigil over his unconscious friend for two long days. Worried as he was about Bruner and curious about the wondrous Warhammer, the drow remained a respectful distance from the secret forge. Finally, as morning dawned on the third day, Bruner stirred and stretched. Drizzt silently padded away, moving down the path he knew the dwarf would take. Finding an appropriate clearing, he hastily set up a small campsite. The sunlight came to Bruner as only a blur at first, and it took him several minutes to reorient himself to his surroundings. Then his returning vision focused on the shining glory of the warhammer. Quickly, he glanced around him, looking for signs of the fallen dust. He found none, and his anticipation heightened. He was trembling once again as he lifted the magnificent weapon, turning it over in his hands. 
feeling its perfect balance and incredible strength. Brunner's breath flew away when he saw the symbols of the three gods on the mithril. Diamond dust magically fused into their deeply etched lines. Entranced by the apparent perfection of his work, Brunner understood the emptiness his father had spoken of. He knew that he would never duplicate this level of his craft, and he wondered if, knowing this, he would be able to lift his smithy hammer ever again. Trying to sort through his mixed emotions, the dwarf put the silver mallet and chisel back into their golden coffer and replaced the scroll in its tube, though the parchment was blank again and the magical runes would never reappear. He realized that he hadn't eaten in several days, and his strength hadn't fully recovered from the drain of the magic. He collected as many things as he could carry, hoisted the huge warhammer over his shoulder, and trudged off toward his home. The sweet scent of roasting Coney greeted him as he came upon Driz Duarden's camp. So, you're back from your travels, he called in greeting to his friend. Driz locked his eyes onto the dwarfs, not wanting to give away his overwhelming curiosity for the Warhammer. At your request, good dwarf, he said, bowing low. Surely you had enough people looking for me to expect that I'd return. Brunner conceded the point, though for the present he only offered absently, I needed you, as an explanation. A more pressing need had come over him at the sight of the cooking meat. Drizzt smiled knowingly. He had already eaten and had caught and cooked this coney especially for Brunner. Join me? he asked. Before he'd even finished the offer, Brunner was eagerly reaching for the rabbit. He stopped suddenly, though, and turned a suspicious eye upon the drow. How long you been here? the dwarf asked nervously. Just arrived this morning, Driz lied, respecting the privacy of the dwarf's special ceremony. Brunner smirked at the answer and tore into the coney as Driz said another on the spit. The drow waited until Brunner was engrossed with his meal, then quickly snatched up the warhammer. By the time Brunner could react, Driz had already lifted the weapon. Too big for a dwarf, Driz remarked casually, and too heavy for my slender arms. He looked at Brunner, who stood with his forearms crossed and his foot stamping impatiently. Who, then? You're a talent for putting your nose where it don't belong, elf, the dwarf answered gruffly. Driz laughed in response. The boy, Wolfgar? He asked in mock disbelief. He knew well that the dwarf harbored strong feelings for the young barbarian, though he also realized that Brunner would never openly admit it. A fine weapon to be giving a barbarian. Did you craft it yourself? Despite his chiding, Drizzt was truly awestricken by Brunner's workmanship. Though the hammer was far too heavy for him to wield, he could clearly feel its incredible balance. Bah! Just an old hammer, that's all, Brunner mumbled. The boy lost his club. I couldn't well turn him loose in the wild without a weapon. And its name? Aegis Fang. Brunner replied without thinking, the name flowing from him before he even had time to consider it. He didn't remember the incident, but the dwarf had determined the name of the weapon when he had enchanted it as part of the magical intonations of the ceremony. I understand, Drizzt said, handing the hammer back to Brunner. An old hammer, but good enough for the boy. Mithril, adamantite, and diamond will simply have to do. Oh, shut your mouth! snapped Brunner, his face flushed red with embarrassment. Drizzt bowed low in apology. 
Why did you request my presence, good friend? The drow asked, changing the subject. Bruner cleared his throat. <clears throat> the boy, he grumbled softly. Drizzt saw the uncomfortable lump well in Bruner's throat and buried his next taunt before he spoke it. He comes free afore winter, continued Bruner. And he's not rightly trained, stronger than any man I've ever seen, and moves with the grace of a fleeing deer. But he's green in the ways of battle. You want me to train him? Drizzt asked incredulously. Well, I can't do it, Bruner snapped suddenly. He's seven foot tall and wouldn't be taken well to the low cuts of a dwarf. The drow eyed his frustrated companion curiously. Like everyone else who was close to Bruner, he knew that a bond had grown between the dwarf and the young barbarian, and he hadn't guessed just how deep it ran. I didn't take him under my eye for five years just to let him get cut down by a stinking tundra yeti. Bruner blurted, impatiently, with the drow's hesitance and nervousness that his friend had guessed more than he should. Will you do it, then? Drizzt smiled again, but there was no teasing in it this time. He remembered his own battle with the Tundra Yeti nearly five years before. Bruner had saved his life that day, and it hadn't been the first, and wouldn't be the last time that he'd fallen into the dwarf's debt. The gods know that I owe you more than that, my friend. Of course I'll train him. Bruner grunted and grabbed the last coney. The ring of Wolfgar's pounding echoed throughout the dwarven halls. Angered by the revelations he had been forced to see in his discussion with Canterbury, he had returned to his work with fervor. Stop your hammering, boy, came a gruff voice behind him. Wolfgar spun on his heel. He'd been so engrossed in his work that he hadn't heard Bruner enter. An involuntary smile of relief widened across his face but he caught the show of weakness quickly and repainted a stern mask. Bruner regarded the young barbarian's great height and girth and the scraggly beginnings of a blonde beard along the golden skin of his face. "'I can't rightly be calling you boy anymore,' the dwarf conceded. "'You have the right to call me whatever you wish,' retorted Wolfgar. "'I am your slave.' "'You've a spirit as wild as the tundra.' Bruner said, smiling. You never been, nor will you ever be, a slave to any dwarf or man. Wolfgar was caught off guard by the dwarf's uncharacteristic compliment. He tried to reply, but could not find the words. Never have I seen you as a slave, boy, Bruner continued. You serve me to pay back the crimes of your people, and I taught you much in return. Now put your hammer away. He paused for a moment to consider Wolfgar's fine workmanship. You're a good smith, with a good feel for the stone, but you don't belong in the dwarven caves. It's time you felt the sun on your face again. Freedom, Wolfgar whispered. Get the notion out of your head, Bruner snapped. He pointed a stubby finger at the barbarian and growled threateningly. You're mine to the last days of fall, don't you forget that? Wolfgar had to bite his lip to stem the laugh. As always, the dwarf's awkward combination of compassion and borderline rage had confused him and kept him off balance. It no longer came as a shock, though. Four years at Bruner's side had taught him to expect, and disregard, the sudden outbursts of gruffness. "'Finish up whatever you have to do,' Bruner instructed. 
I'll take you to meet your teacher tomorrow morning, and by your vow, you'll heed him as you would to me. Wolfgar grimaced at the thought of servitude to yet another, but he'd accepted his indenture to Brunner unconditionally for a period of five years and a day, and he would not dishonor himself by going back on his oath. He nodded his consent. I won't be seeing much of you, Brunner continued, so I'll have your oath now that you'll never again raise a weapon against the people of Ten Towns. Wolfgar said himself firmly, That you may not have, he replied boldly. When I have fulfilled the terms that you set before me, I shall leave here a man of free will. Fair enough, Brunner conceded, Wolfgar's stubborn pride actually enhancing the dwarf's respect for him. He paused for a moment to look over the proud young warrior and found himself pleased at his part in Wolfgar's growth. "'You broke that stinking pole of yours on me head,' Brunner began tentatively. He cleared his throat. This final order of business made the tough dwarf uncomfortable. He wasn't quite sure of how he would get through it without appearing sentimental and foolish. "'Winter will be fast upon you before your term to me is ended.' I can't rightly send you out into the wild without a weapon. He reached back into the hallway quickly and grabbed the warhammer. Aegis Fang, he said gruffly as he tossed it to Wolfgar. I'll place no bonds on your will, but I'll have your oath for my own good conscience that you'll never raise this weapon against the people of Ten Towns. As soon as his hands closed around the adamantite handle, Wolfgar sensed the worth of the magical hammer. The diamond-filled runes caught the glow of the forge and set a myriad of reflections dancing around the room. The barbarians of Wolfgar's tribe had always prided themselves of the fine weapons they kept, even measuring the worth of a man by the quality of his spear or sword. But Wolfgar had never seen anything to match the exquisite detail and sheer strength of Aegis Fang. It balanced so well in his hands, and its height and weight fit him so perfectly that he felt as if he'd been born to wield this weapon. He told himself at once that he would pray for many nights to the gods of fate for delivering this prize unto him. Certainly they deserved his thanks, as did Brunner. You have my word, Wilfgar stammered, so overcome by the magnificent gift that he could barely speak. He steadied himself so that he could say more, but by the time he was able to pull his gaze from the magnificent hammer, Brunner was gone. The dwarf stomped through the long corridors toward his private chambers, mumbling curses about his weakness and hoping that none of his kin had come upon him. With a cautious look around, he wiped the moisture from his gray eyes.